Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rabo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Fix-It Felix Jr. Now, do you know what the term Toby Comey means? You will, if you listen to this entire podcast. Now, before I get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Well, once again, welcome back to the show. Thank you, everyone, who sent me feedback, uh, messages, tweets, uh, donations, all those things. Greatly appreciated. I'm very glad to uh, know that you guys are still out there. I'm still here on this side, and I'm so very glad that you are there on that side. I have received so many uh, nice messages. I probably should have prepared a list of everyone who, who sent me messages. I just... Uh, right before recording, got a message from uh, Manfred Bauer from Germany. So uh, hello, uh, Mr. Bauer. Um, it, it amazes me that people in other countries receive, you know, can you imagine when you were a kid, imagine that you would sit on your computer and, and say things and people from other countries uh, would listen. And I want to give a shout out to a very special listener this week. His name is Christopher Hillman Bow. And Christopher is Norwegian. He is the son of Tron. And uh, Tron and his son both listened to the show. So uh, I am very excited. And in fact, I prepared a short message for Christopher. Hallo, Christopher. Talk for at du hort. Pa short mit jeg haper du liquor kill your nuggets. <laughs> I bet that's pretty bad Norwegian. That's the best I could do with Google Translate. For those of you that don't speak Norwegian, I said, hello, Christopher. Thank you for listening to my show. I hope you enjoy your chicken nuggets. In fact, if you do speak Norwegian, you probably needed the English translation on that one as well. Uh, but I do know that is one of Christopher's uh, favorite foods. And uh, English is not Christopher's native language, but uh, his dad said that he is pretty fluent and based off of um, playing video games and uh, watching shows and listening to podcasts. So I was so excited to hear uh, that Christopher enjoys the show. And I do know that he also enjoyed the movie that this week's game is based on. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Uh, in news, there was a new episode of 8-Bit Show and Tell, uh, which is uh, from my good friend Robin. You can follow him on Twitter at 8-Bit Show and Tell. And uh, he's done some great uh, Commodore 64 related. Well, they're all, the whole show is Commodore 64 related, but, um, he's done some great posts. I know he did one that kind of went viral about a program that was stored on a vinyl record. And his latest episode is about exploring the 1581. And he shows how to make partitions and some of the Easter eggs that are hidden in the BIOS that you can display. And, and there's lots of other things in there too. Robin, by the way, is uh, a co-host of another podcast I listened to, which is Growing Up 80s. Uh, it is Robin and his partner, Darren, and you can follow them on Twitter at G-U-P-80-S. 
G up eighties. Uh, and that's a really fun episode. And it's always interesting for me to hear, uh, people that grew up at the same time period, but in a different place. So, uh, there's definitely a, a Canadian slant on the show. And I very much enjoy listening to their uh, podcast about the eighties and we all love the eighties. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, if you want to find out more about the 1581, that is the three and a half inch disc drive that was released by Commodore. You should go check out the latest episode of eight bit show and tell. I read a news story this week about the smoker door 64. This made the rounds. This is a, uh, smoker, like a beef, you know, a meat smoker that you would have in your backyard that runs off of electronic controls. And there's a, a YouTube video. I will add the link in the show notes. Of course, the show notes are where the, the uh, posts get posted over at podcast.robohara.com. So you can find the show notes there. Uh, I will try to start putting them in the actual, uh, metadata in the, uh, uh, ID tags of the MP3s themselves. I guess you could click on it right there on your phone. I don't typically haven't done that, but I may start doing that. Uh, but what this guy did, uh, cities in was he modified his smoker. The electronics went out that are required to control the smoker and he wired it up to a Commodore 64 and he wrote some software to control the smoker. It's really cool, you know, and it's, um, I know there's been videos in the past of uh, things like auto repair shops. I think I've seen, I've seen some airport display things that are being run still by Commodore computers and uh, Commodore computers, man, they just keep on ticking. And uh, so this is a really fun video uh, to watch it run the smoker and maintain the, the correct temperature and do all the things that a smoker is supposed to do. So I will add that to the show notes. Again, that was called Smoker Door 64, if you just want to look that up for yourself on YouTube. Uh, I saw a news headline that the JCIA has been uh, released. That is a FPGA version of the CIA chip. Now, the CIA chip, uh, if you aren't aware, it's uh, a chip that's inside the Commodore 64. It's actually in a lot of things. It's in a 128. Uh, it's also in the 1570 and 1571 drives. Uh, and, and the same chip kind of could be two different things. I guess there's two different models. There's the J6526, uh, and there's also the 8521. Have you ever seen that chip that says Moss <laughs> on it? Uh, you've opened up your Commodore 64 and you've seen that right there. Um, you've seen that chip and, and that chip is responsible for, uh, IO interfaces. So there, there was always a, a rumor. I never had it happen to me personally, but I won't say rumor. It was just a, a, um, uh, you know, a warning that if you plugged joysticks or unplugged joysticks while the computer was running, there was always this very slight chance that you could short out, uh, something in the computer and that something is the CIA chip. And so you'll know when you've done that because the joystick ports don't work anymore. The keyboard no longer works anymore. Um, you're going to have real problems. And so this is a, um, uh, up until now, you know, there's this whole thing with Commodore 64s. Obviously they're not making them anymore. And so we are having to cannibalize old systems to get chips. You know, that's where people get, uh, SID chips. It's where people get um, CIA chips and all these other chips, uh, to make working systems, but eventually that source is going to dry up. And so this is a, a new chip. It's a FPGA 
and it's a drop-in replacement, and they're selling for $30, which seems uh, uh, reasonable. Also, I don't know if I mentioned this, that, that, that same chip is in the Amiga, the other version of it, the uh, uh, 8521 is in the Amiga, and it's also in the Commodore 1581. So if you have one of those devices and, and this chip goes bad, this is a drop-in replacement for about $30. So I thought that was pretty cool. I also found this week a device called the 2-Bit Joystick Port Swapper. It's uh, sold by Backbit. It's $29, and I just ordered one. Uh, what the 2-Bit is, if you've ever used a Commodore 64 for any length of time, you know the pain of having to swap joystick ports between uh, port 1 and port 2. Um, I just had a, a long conversation with Aaron from uh, the Amigos about why this happens. But, uh, you know, in the early, early release games, a lot of early release games used port one um, because a lot of the cartridge games used port one because uh, there was no memory conflict. <laughs> it, it gets really complicated and, and it's a longer story than what I want to go into in the news here. Uh, but over time, most programmers switch to port two, because if you put a joystick in port one, you've probably noticed if you wiggle the joystick around, uh, that it creates uh, characters on the screen because it's it's activating the keyboard matrix. It's using the same points um, that this matrix uses to detect keyboard presses. Um, but what it also does, it does that in the same area of memory where the data set uh, loads games. And so if you load a game from cassette and wiggle a joystick enough in port one, you may make it where it doesn't work. So, uh, if you're now today, you're playing Commodore games, uh, depending on the era, you may have games in, in port one, you may have games in port two, and you're constantly swipping. If you only have one joystick, you're swapping the joystick back and forth. And so, uh, long story short, what this device is, is it plugs into both joystick ports and it comes with a three-way switch on the top of it. So in the first position, it's port one. In the second position, uh, it automatically switches the joystick to port two. And in the last position, it puts uh, the joystick in both ports. So 99% of the time, you could probably just leave it in that position and uh, it should work fine. Now, another thing that we've been warned about over the years is not to use a Sega Genesis gamepad because, um, there, you know, if you were to hit the right button combination under the right circumstances, you could damage that CIA chip we were just talking about. Well, the 2-bit joystick port adapter also has, I don't know if it's a capacitor or a diode, but it, um, I think it's just a diode that drops, uh, the voltage, um, I don't really know the technical aspect of, of exactly how it does it, but it protects the CIA chip from getting damaged. So you can safely use uh, other you know joy pads like a, a game pad from a Sega Genesis or something on your Commodore 64. So 29 bucks sounds like a good investment. You get a um, 3D printed case in uh, one of a couple of colors. I think black and red maybe were the choices. I ordered red because my ultimate... 1541 is in a red case, so I thought those would go cool. Actually, so is my um, uh, Wi-Fi modem. So anyway, uh, uh, there are other solutions. There are uh, build-your-own-solutions on GitHub if uh, you want to roll that way, but uh, this seemed like a, uh, a good product, so by the time uh, we do the next episode, I should have a full review of that. 
This week saw the release of Puny Inform, which is a Inform 6 library for the Commodore 64 and other 8-bit computers. Inform is one of the most popular languages for creating text adventures um, or interactive fiction as a current vernacular. But uh, So there are lots and lots and lots, hundreds and thousands of uh, Inform 6-based text adventures. And so what Puny Inform does is it's essentially uh, allows you to convert those to where they will run on uh, 8-bit computers, including the Commodore 64. So I haven't had time to uh, play with that hands-on yet, but I've watched some demos and, and read some articles, and that's pretty cool. Now, this is not the first library to allow uh, users to do that. There was one about a year ago, and I converted some of my friend uh, Rob Sherwin's text adventures over to the Commodore 64, and it it worked. Obviously, it's not as fast as running them on a modern PC, but it did work. You know, there's a lot of disk access going on to load things back and forth. But I'm looking forward to uh, giving Puny Inform uh, a run, and that's a cool way to get new games to run on uh, our beloved old platform. Uh, I saw a couple of new games, speaking of games, I should say, I saw a couple of new games uh, released since the last uh, episode. There's been a few. One is Nanendo, which is like Commando. It was released by Commodore Spain. It was created with the shoot 'em up construction kit, and it looks really cool. It's a scroller. It's like a from right to left type scroller, which is kind of interesting. And your character is waist high in water, and so you kind of have that little bit of that claustrophobic feeling, like what's under the water, and you and you go around. So it's very much like commando, but a side scrolling. It's very fun. I played it for a few minutes and it's really cool. There's another game that was released called the last Amazon trilogy, which was also released with, uh, or created, I should say with shoot 'em up construction kit. Uh, this is a, a Cytronic release. You can find it on itch.io. Uh, you can get it for as much as you want to pay. So you could pay zero if you really want it. Or, um, I always try to give these groups, a little bit of money just because I'm always happy to uh, support people that are still creating games for the Commodore 64. But uh, you can find that under the last Amazon trilogy, and that looks really cool as well. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just got knocked off his bike by a tire rolling down the street. Crazy drivers. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's talk about this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So I had a hard time picking a snack this week. You know, a lot of times what I do is I go back into my memories of playing this game as a kid and what food do I associate with this game. And I try to, to um, you know, relive those days by having that snack. But obviously this is a new game made to feel like an old game. So I don't have any old memories associated with it. And and uh, there there is food in the, the movie Wreck-It Ralph, but there's not a lot of food in this game. But there is one type of food that you get, and that is an apple pie. And the apple pies are presented, uh, they are baked by the people that live in the building, and when you get them, you get invincibility for a few minutes. I tried to talk my wife into baking an apple pie, and she just said no. She said, I'm not baking you an apple pie for your podcast. So I was really kind of bummed out. I didn't really know what to do. And a couple of days ago, 
I went through McDonald's for breakfast. Uh, I go through McDonald's quite a bit for uh, breakfast. I like to get my sausage McMuffin or my uh, breakfast burrito. And I saw on the menu while I was there that they have apple pies. I forgot that they had apple pies for dessert. And so I went back through McDonald's later that evening, like after dinner time, and I picked up an iced tea. Sometimes I go through McDonald's, they have 99-cent drinks, any size, so I get a large iced tea. And I got an apple pie, a little baked apple pie. They were much smaller than I remember as a child. I remember them being very large. So either I, there's a, uh, a combination of things that have happened. I believe the apple pies have got smaller. I believe flack has got a little bigger. So there's a combination of things that seem to have happened there. But I did get my apple pie. I did not get invincibility, but I did enjoy uh, eating an apple pie. I haven't had an apple pie for McDonald's in forever. I totally forgot about those. And so, uh, so that was my little tie this week to, uh, this week's game. And this week's game, as I mentioned, is Fix It Felix Jr., which was published for the Commodore 64 this year, 2020, by Broken Bites. It is a game for one player that uses joystick controls. I'm gonna wreck it! In the opening credits, we learned that the code was done by A. Savona, the graphics were created by S. Day, and the music and sound effects were created by S. Cross. Well, A. Savona is Antonio Savana. I should say Savana, I believe. Uh, Savona or Savana? I'm not sure. Sorry, Anthony. Um, he is the genius, I should say. I don't even want to say the person. I want to say the genius behind Planet Golf, which was an amazing Commodore 64 game. But even more than that, he has been responsible for all the recent Activision ports that we have seen coming to the Commodore 64. Keystone Capers, Frostbite, Chopper Command, Crackpots, all those games. This is the genius behind that. And so if every one of those games, I feel like I should say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, they are all... Uh, they're not just ports of the Atari 2600 versions. They're so much better. I mean, the graphics on Keystone Capers. Uh, I played the Chopper Command. I've played, well, I've played them all, uh, but they're just beautiful games. And so um, this is the man who brought us those games. So it is no surprise uh, how wonderful this game looks and plays. Uh, S. Day is Steve Day. He's also known in Commodore Circles as STE or STE86. If you've played any game in the past that's been released, oh gosh, in the past five or ten years, you've probably seen his artwork. Uh, he does amazing uh, loading screens, graphics. I'm not listing every game he's worked on because if you go to the Commodore Scene database and type in STE apostrophe 86, I believe there's well over a hundred entries that he has done. He's done so many great things. He's a very, very talented artist. Um, all three of the people that worked on this game are just super talented. The third one, uh, in the credits, it's S. Cross. That is, of course, Saul Cross. Uh, and the same way he has done music and sound effects for hundreds of games. Uh, again, you could go to um, the Commodore Scene Database. Just look up uh, CSDB, and you could go in there and look. But, but so many great uh, games that he's worked on, provided music for and sound effects. So this is really a top-notch team. I mean, this is uh, all, like... A-plus superstar guys that got together and released this game under Broken Bites. Now, what's interesting is I tried to find information about 
broken bites. And all I was able to find was an old blog that appears to have been uh, abandoned a couple of years ago. One of the projects that they were working on uh, is a super high-quality music streaming uh, program, and you could still find that there. Uh, if you search for Broken Bites, you, you'll find it. It's one of the few hits other than uh, hits associated with this game. Um, but, you know, these are just guys that you could tell are doing this for the love of the computer and for gamers and players everywhere. So greatly appreciate it. I give these guys a huge shout-out. Uh, this is uh, truly an amazing game. So as you probably know, there was a movie released by Disney in 2012 called Wreck-It Ralph, uh, which was all about these characters that lived inside of arcade games that were all inside of an arcade. And and during the day, they perform their services and they play the arcade games as actors. But at night, when the games are over and the arcade closes down, they all have uh, real lives. And, and so there was this whole story about Fix-It Felix and Wreck-It Ralph and Penelope and all these characters. And so that is uh, in the movie Fix-It Felix Jr. is the name of the game, which was always kind of confusing. Uh, I think uh, it was to me in the beginning and to a lot of people was that the movie is called Wreck-It Ralph, but the game inside the movie is called Fix-It Felix Jr. And Fix-It Felix Jr. plays a Mario-type character, and Wreck-It Ralph is the bad guy in the game, and he plays essentially Donkey Kong, uh, that type of character. And, and um, there was a follow-up, uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, which was released in 2018, another animated film by Disney. The game, according to the movie, was created by a company named Toby Comey, which is really supposed to be Nintendo. It's you know, Disney is not going to create a movie about a Nintendo game, <laughs> so they created their own game. It's similar. I guess in style to Mario Brothers, but uh, they're not going to license an entire game, and you know they'd lose too much on on um, merchandise on licensing. So, uh, so anyway, the company is supposed to be like Nintendo. Uh, in the game or in the movie, the arcade cabinet was blue. It looked exactly like a Donkey Kong cabinet. It has this, everything, the shape, and down to the white uh, T molding around the the uh, sides of the arcade cabinet. It's obviously supposed to look like a Nintendo cabinet. Uh, even the marquee looks similar to Donkey Kong. Now, again, this is an entire movie about a video game that doesn't really exist in real life. So how do we end up with a game called Fix-It Felix Jr.? Well, uh, Disney, as part of their marketing strategy all the way back in 2012, had a Flash version of the game made, as well as actual arcade machines. And these arcade machines started out on Disney properties, but some of them were purchased and, and placed in other arcades. I've actually uh, played a couple of them, and they look exactly like vintage Nintendo arcade cabinets. Um, but that was it. They, there was an arcade game, and then there was an online Flash version. Versions were released for iOS, and Android, I'm going to get into this uh, a little bit more, but but those were the official versions. And then 
someone created a homebrew version for the Sega Genesis back in 2014. Actually, two different people did that. There are two different homebrew versions of Fix-It Felix Jr. for uh, the Sega Genesis. Then there was a uh, – actually, this predates it. I, I kind of said this out of order. But there was also a um, version for the Atari VCS for the Atari 2600, a homebrew version called Fix-It Felix Sr. And obviously, there are limitations. It doesn't look anywhere as, near good, as good as these other versions because it's, you know, for the Atari 2600. But sim- similar gameplay. So that's kind of the backstory. Uh, this version of Fix-It Felix is – based on that arcade version and the Flash version that were out there. There are some minor changes, and actually there are some changes uh, for the better in the gameplay. So we'll we'll talk about that. Um, I normally talk about the box and the manual, but there is no official physical release of this game. So there is no physical disc or cartridge or manual or anything like that. Um, When you fire the game up, it comes up to a title screen, And right off the bat, you can see this is going to be a quality title. Uh, We see, well, first of all, we're greeted with this huge uh, full screen drawing. Uh, I guess this was done by um, Steve 86. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. It has Felix front and center. He's holding his hammer. He's surrounded by these flying bricks that obviously Wreck-It Ralph has uh, either thrown or smashed. Uh, To the left is one of the ladies from Niceville. That's the people that live in the building, and she is offering Felix an apple pie. And then to the right, uh, kind of in the background, we have Ralph, and he's you know flexing his muscles and ready to go. Uh, We do have credits on there, one for Stee, and then also one for, again, Toby Comey. Um, and then we get this digital voice. I'm going to wreck it. This game has multiple digital samples. I mean, I remember as a kid hearing digital samples in games, you know, impossible mission and ghostbusters. Those are the first two that always popped to people's minds and people still have memories of that today. This game, I mean, the quality of the digital samples is so good. It's really amazing that, this program, I mean, that the actual file size isn't larger with, with uh, the samples that it contains. Uh, so you get this sample, I'm going to wreck it. And then you get this whole animated sequence where it's exactly like in the movie and in other versions where uh, Ralph's stump gets moved to the dump where his house where he was living gets relocated to the dump, uh, which was cleared out for the high-rise buildings. And that is basically um, the catalyst for the story. These high-rises are built on where Ralph used to live. Uh, he's upset. He says, hey, you move my stump. And that takes us uh, into the menu screen. Hey, you move my stump. So uh, on the menu, we have Fix-It Felix Jr., uh, the the title of the game. Fix-It Felix is written in brick, which is fitting. And then Jr. is a little uh, add-on over to the side. Um, And then we have copyright Toby Comey, uh, 1982. Now, obviously, this game wasn't made in 1982, but that is a throwback. And many of the other versions of this also have a copyright of 82 because that's the way it appears in the movie. And that's kind of the... uh, you know, the fun of the legend is that this was originally supposed to be a game back when all the other uh, arcade games, the classic, you know, age of arcade games and Mario and, and uh, all the same games from that time. Again, we have those credits I mentioned. We have A. Savona uh, for code, S. Day for graphics, and S. Cross for music and sound effects. Uh, if you let it sit there for a minute, it will flip to 
a high score table, a Hall of Fame, and you have Ant at 30,000, Stee at 20,000, and Sam at 10,000. Um, with the joystick on this, you can control your starting level. You can start anywhere from level 1 to 20. I will say most of the early levels play pretty similarly. They're not that difficult. If you jump up to 20, you will wish you hadn't done that (laughs) because it gets pretty hard, uh, pretty fast at those levels. Um, and then the entire screen, all the text at the bottom has this really beautiful, uh, color fade going, uh, you know, through reds and pinks to yellows and grays, you know, it's just one of the, uh, Commodore 64 had so many beautiful ways to put together these fading of colors, these color palettes. And they, they did a really good job of having this, uh, you know, the text really just pops off the screen as it, as it fades through these different colors. Now the controls of this game are pretty simple. You use a joystick to move, uh, Felix up, down, left, or right. And the button uses Felix's magic hammer to fix the broken windows. Um, if you press up, you will do a quick jump, which can be used to jump over enemies. But if you do a long up, you hold it up, you move up between the different levels of the building. We'll talk about the layout of the building here in just a minute. Uh, but the other important things are the space bar pauses the game. And then the back arrow, not backspace and not the cursor keys, but the back, the left-hand arrow that's in the upper left-hand side of the Commodore 64 keyboard will toggle the music on and off. I did not personally find the music uh, to be abrasive or repetitive. I enjoyed it. Um, but, uh, you know, if maybe you're going for a marathon session and, and it's getting on your nerves, you might want to turn that off, I guess. So let's get to the gameplay of Fix-It Felix. And the game begins, Ralph uh, jumps to the top of the level of the building that you'll see, and uh, the, and he smashes all the windows. He just uses his fist, punch, 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 and he smashes the windows, and the citizens all cry out, Fix-It Felix! Uh, it's just like, you know, in the game, just like in the movie. And Felix responds, I can fix it. And so the goal becomes, uh, Felix has to fix all the broken windows before you move on to the next level. Now, each level is a five by three grid of windows. So there are five windows across and then three levels up and down. So there's a total of 15 windows on every level. Now, in the early levels, you can easily move between all the windows. You can go all the way left. You could go all the way up and down. Uh, the grid is completely open. But very quickly, as you begin to advance, you'll find um, window-based uh, like flower pots uh, or planters that prevent you from going up and down. So you'd have to go around those things. You'll also find some vertical walls that will prevent you from going left and right. And so the longer you play, uh, the more difficult it becomes to navigate these 15 windows. Now, uh, while you're fixing these windows, you have things coming down uh, vertically from the top and you have enemies coming horizontally. Vertically from the top, you have bricks. So Wreck-It Ralph is still at the top of the building and he's working his way left and right and punching the building and he makes bricks fall down. And so you have to dodge these bricks. And the bricks kind of cover, let's say, three of the five rows of windows as they're coming down. So let's say if he's uh, all the way, like, oh, if you're in this matrix, right? And and uh, so there's five vertical rows, one, two, three, four, five. If um, 
Wreck-It Ralph is over two, and he's punching down and throwing bricks. Those bricks will fall one, two, and three. So you have four and five as kind of a safe zone where you can work and fix windows. If he's in the middle of the screen, uh, which would be three, the bricks will fall in two, three, and four. And so you could kind of be on one and five or kind of safe areas for you to be. So you have to watch where Ralph is at the top of the screen, but also horizontally, you have birds that are flying left to right that look suspiciously like the birds from Duck Hunt. I don't know if they're supposed to be that, but, you know, since this is all a tribute to Nintendo, maybe it is. But the birds uh, look a lot like uh, ducks, and they fly left and right. And so you'll need to avoid those. Now, they're difficult to see sometimes. You have to really catch them uh, when they're first entering the screen because when they're layered on top of the building, you know, the bricks and the windows and all that, it can be difficult to see them. So you really need to keep an eye out when they're coming onto the screen from the, the left or the right. So as uh, Felix moves from broken window to broken window, you use your fire button to repair the windows. And you can either press the button, I believe if you press it twice, it will repair a window. Or you can just hold the button down until the window is repaired, which is kind of uh, the strategy that I used. Also... Instead of trying to watch everything, I found myself just staring at the middle of the screen and kind of using my peripheral vision to see when the birds were coming from the left and right and to see where the bricks were coming from the top and down. So um, a lot of video games, you know, your your eyes dart around. You're always looking for enemies or what's going on. But I kind of found by just staring at the middle of the screen, I had a, a pretty good chance of seeing uh, things that were moving around. Uh, so again, each um, level of the building is five windows wide. And uh, and three tall. And once you have fixed all the windows, you will move up to the next set of windows. And when you've moved up enough, I believe the first full level is four sets of windows. When you move up to the very uh, top and you fix that, then the citizens of uh, Nice Land or Niceville will, will come out and throw Wreck-It Ralph off the top of the building. They will give Fix-It Felix his medal, which is all, again, exactly like it happens in the movie. And then uh, you will start all over again with a different building. And so uh, very, very much fun. Now, on the download link, on the Broken Bytes download link on um, itch.io, I couldn't find what the exact scoring mechanism was for this game. But I was able to find uh, Antonio Savana on Twitter and asked him directly. And he sent me everything that I needed to know. I was very appreciative uh, to get this information. Uh, essentially, if you fix a window, that's 100 points. If it's the last window on the level, you get 500 points. Uh, smashing through a pile of bricks, you'll see uh, piles of bricks that build up on the levels. Uh, once you're invincible, is 300 points. So once you eat one of those pies, I guess I should talk about that. Um, occasionally, these pies show up on windowsills. And when you eat the pie, you become invincible for a short amount of time. You can um, kill the birds by running into them. The bricks don't affect you. And uh, that's a good time to get, you know, if there's any hard-to-reach windows uh, while you're doing that. Uh, so anyway, back to the score. If you hit the pile of bricks while you're invincible, that's 300 points. And if you kill a bird while you're invincible, it's always three or also 300 points. But if you hit a second bird... 
it's then 900 points. So if you could somehow get two during the same invincibility little time, you know, a lot like getting the star on Super Mario Brothers, right? Uh, if you can hit two birds, then uh, you can really rack up some points. And you do get an extra Felix every 20,000 points. So uh, usually I could get one to two extra Felix. <laughs> So you can kind of guess uh, what my score range is. Now, I did find on RetroComputerScene.com, under their high score listing, they have a high score for Fix-It Felix Jr. posted of 269,000 points, which is a really, really good score. I could not get anywhere near that. In fact, I don't think I ever got six digits. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a great score. Um, now, normally for these games, I like to provide a little bit of trivia. And for the trivia, I always check Wikipedia, I check Moby Games, I check Lemon64. But none of those places have an entry for this game. I was very shocked that um, Moby Games and uh, Lemon64 did not have this in their database. But I guess they only have... Um, Games that were released by official publishers? I don't really know. Uh, I, I was really surprised that, they, that it wasn't in their database. But um, I did find one piece of trivia, and it was actually on a Wreck-It Ralph wiki about the movie. And it talks about Toby Comey, which is the fictional uh, company that created the game in the movie. Toby Comey is Japanese for either to jump or to dive. And so that could be taken either way. Like Fix-It Felix does a lot of jumping, right? He does jump in between the levels. But at the end of each level, Wreck-It Ralph dives off the top of it. So I'm not really sure which of those two actions they're referring to. But now you know what Toby Comey means. Uh, again, for reviews, I always check Lemon64 and Moby Games. But this game is not listed on either of their pages. So there are no official reviews from those sources. Now I can tell you, if you search YouTube, if you search blogs, if you search news sites, if you search Commodore 64 forums, I don't think you'll find a bad thing said about this game. Uh, people were excited about this game. People love this game and maybe even more than loving it. And more, maybe more important, I should say, is that people appreciate um, such a quality release being made, uh, you know, in 2020, this is obviously a labor of love. It's a great, great game. And, uh, so I, I am even more so than the old game, you know, you can play an old great game and appreciate it in the sense that, you know, it was a good game, but it was a good game because that was a business model. They wanted people to pay money, but, uh, for something like this that is available for, uh, whatever you want to pay. I will talk about that uh, very shortly. Um, it, it's just really an amazing title. It's very, very impressive. So I talked about the original, right, which was the uh, arcade version and the Flash version. Those were um, outsourced by Disney. There was the uh, homebrew version for the Atari 2600, and there were those homebrew versions for the Sega Genesis. So there were different ports. Uh, there were also iOS and Android. Now, I looked. I have an iPhone, and I looked on the uh, uh, App Store, and I don't see this game listed anymore. So it, it must have been uh, uh, phased out. So that's unfortunate. That's one of the... Um, byproducts of uh, Apple's infrastructure, unfortunately, is is that things don't last forever. I'm not sure if the Android one is still out there somewhere, but uh, uh, somebody have to let me know if, if uh, you can get that. 
Now, if you want to play this game today and talking specifically about the Commodore 64 version, again, I will add this to the show notes, uh, but you can go to brokenbytes.itch.io, and uh, there's a link for Fix-It Felix Jr. And this is another great thing about this game. Uh, all You can name any price that you want. You can pay anything you want. So if you want to pay zero, you can pay zero dollars and download this game for free. If you want to donate some money, five, ten dollars, whatever you think this game is worth, you can do that. All the proceeds for this game go to UNICEF. And uh, I think there's probably, I don't, I don't know this for a fact. Um, Disney, I think, is a litigious. Is that the right way to say that? Uh, I think they will sue you <laughs> if you make a Mickey Mouse game. I think they will sue you to oblivion. So uh, it may be that the guys uh, behind this game didn't want to um, tempt Disney's lawyers for coming after them, so all the proceeds are being donated. Um, I, I, or maybe they're just super nice guys. I, I really don't know um, what the story is there. But Again, so when you know that fact, that uh, not only have they created just a really, really great game, uh, not just in the way it looks and sounds, but the way it plays, and the fact that they're not making any money off it at all is uh, pretty amazing to me. There is another release, although uh, you'll have to know where to find it. You can't just find this on um, normal download sites, but it is um, uh, Fix-It Felix plus four HD, which is, um, uh, that is the, uh, the, the code for, um, the plus four is, is things that have been uh, cheats that have been added to the game. So if you can find this version, you can choose if you want unlimited lives, unlimited time, uh, if you want to be invisible and the ability to skip levels. Uh, and then the D is, uh, they build in the documentation. So, uh, that version is out there if you know where to find it. So you, you can, um, uh, Look for that as well. I am relieved, I should say, that there were not any copies of this on eBay. You know, anytime that you release uh, a game in this fashion, where especially one that's free, there will always be people that will take advantage of the situation and turn it into cartridges that they can then sell uh, or make pirate boxes and things like that. So uh, I, I was glad that there are no versions of the uh, Commodore 64 version of the game on eBay. There are homebrews uh, versions of the Sega Genesis where you can buy actual cartridges that people have made or boxes that people have made. Again, this is a homebrew that was made for free. And now I don't know if those are, I don't think they're all uh, official releases. I don't think they're legitimate. I think some people are just making them uh, and then selling them. So uh, th that's always unfortunate for people to, to get money off of someone else's hard work. If you're just looking for fix it, uh, Felix things though, or Wreck-It Ralph things, boy, they're, they're still uh, all over eBay. I was surprised at how much stuff there are. Pop figures, there are junior mini arcade games, there are Pez dispensers, there's all kinds of toys and action figures. And the one thing that really caught my attention is there are reproduction Fix-It Felix Jr. arcade marquees. And the ad that I saw said they're made exactly to the spec for a Nintendo cabinet, so that's obviously what they're designed to be installed in. I don't have one. I'm not a huge, huge fan of the game, but I thought that might be a, a fun keepsake or memento to hang on the wall of my arcade, so I may order one of those. And now we get into my personal memories of this game. All right, time traveler! Seatbelt fastened? Yes! Get it! 
Well, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is a game that was released in 2020. So obviously, I don't have memories of it from when I was a child. It is made to look like a game that was released in 1982. But in reality, it's a new game. Now, the thing that I do have memories of is when the movie Wreck-It Ralph was released. It came out in 2012, and my son Mason was exactly 10 years old. I had seen trailers and commercials for this movie and I got to say, I was probably more excited about it than Mason was. I saw the clips of all these beautifully 3D rendered arcade cabinets. I knew that part of the movie took place in an arcade. I was just really, really excited about it. Uh, and I was excited to take Mason to this movie. And I didn't know how much of it would take place inside the arcade machines. or And it turns out a lot of it does. But some of it does take place in the arcade and it was just so much fun for me to be able to go to the movies with Mason and say that's what arcades were like. Of course, we now have retro arcades, and he's been to some, and, and he likes them, of course. But they'll never have the nostalgia that we have, that those of us that grew up during that era and grew up playing arcade games. But it was a really a fun thing. And, of course, for me, it was so much fun to watch the movie and look for all these little cameos. I think I mentioned on the uh, – um, Dig Dug episode. Like there were characters, the Puka, I think, from uh, Dig Dug uh, makes an appearance in Wreck It Ralph. Qbert makes an appearance. There are lots of tiny little cameos that appear throughout the movie of random arcade characters. Some of them prominently featured, and some of them just shown for a split second in the background. So again, that was really fun for me to watch those things while he watched the movie. We both enjoyed the movie. So. If I am nostalgic at all about this, it's not about the game because you can't be nostalgic about an old game, but it does make me nostalgic for old arcades and it makes me nostalgic for those home brew, those home ports of arcade games. You know, that was always a big thing as a Commodore user was we had the best games. And so when there was a new arcade game that came out, uh, Pac-Man or, or, or whatever, you know, came out in the arcades, I knew that there was going to be a great version release for the Commodore 64. And so even though this wasn't released back then, that's kind of what it makes me think of. Well, with all the praise that I've showered on this game throughout the episode, my rating should be no surprise. For graphics, I give this game five out of five magic hammers. It's absolutely gorgeous. For music, I will also give it five out of five magic hammers. And for the sound effects, I will also give it five out of five magic hammers. That gives you an overall gameplay score of five out of five. I think this is a terrific game. I think it is a insta-classic for the Commodore 64. I think this is a game that new games will be judged against and old games, unfortunately, will also be judged against it. Uh, it. It is a just a spectacular demonstration of the type of game that can be created on the Commodore 64. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. 
SpriteCastle is available from iTunes, the SpriteCastle RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through throwbackreviews.com, your home for quality retro podcasts. Don't forget the new episodes of SpriteCastle will be dropping every other Thursday night at midnight. And now that I know I have so many listeners from other countries, I should say that is U.S. Central Standard Time. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore's Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to eating your chicken nuggets, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>